Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Kieran McLaughlin from Who Scored and the legend of the game, Jonathan Wilson. We're going to start with the Champions League, Kieran, and you've got the team of the round for us and you've already spoiled the surprise a little bit for Jonathan and myself. I'm not going to quite spoil it for the viewers and listeners, but there is a shock in this team. Yeah, so uh, Champions League team around, um, players had to play a minimum of two appearances, so both legs. And we've gone for a 4-4-2. Uh, starting in goal, we've got Andre Onana. Uh, the back four of Giovanni Di Lorenzo, Diet Apamakano, Kim Manjay and Kingsley Coman. Uh, midfield of Riyad Mahrez, Joshua Kimmich, Piotr Zielinski and Vinicius Jr. And up front is Goncalo Ramos and Victor Osimhen. I mean, I thought the omission was going to be the biggest thing, but Jonathan, Kingsley Coman's playing left-back. Who's <laughs> good? Behind what's already a very, very attacking midfield. Is this, is this the algorithm or is this Garth Crooks? <laughs> he, he, must be in, he must be in charge of it this week. Garth Crooks has been given a guest appearance on the, on, on the algorithm. I, mean, I guess because Coman played wing-back, I guess that's yeah. the excuse, but come on. Flat-back four, come on. I mean, that with Zelensky in the middle of the midfield and two two wingers. Who was on the left? Oh, you had Vinicius Junior, who's, who's not really yeah. a good midfielder. And you had Mahrez on the right, was it? Yeah. Kevin doesn't care. He's, he's, he's happy, we're happy with it. Yeah. He's very, very, very attacking. Very I, but attacking. no no Holland. So it was Osserman and uh, Ramos. Ramos. Yeah. I mean, Osserman was brilliant in both legs. What, so what, what rating did Holland get? I guess he didn't get a big rating first round, first leg. Is that, is that the problem? First leg, first leg he got only a 6.47. Wow, oh, loser. That's what's let him down. Yeah, but he got a 10, did he, this week? He got a 10, yeah. yeah. Ramos got a 10 last week for his one for his hat-trick. Yeah. So, at least I suppose there is valid reasons for him not making the team of the round. I was just thinking at the start, this is going to be the team from the week of Champions League football, basically, but obviously I've got that wrong. But this is what happens when you make yourself a slave to the numbers. Yeah, I mean, five, five, <laughs> yeah. five, five goals, not bad. Not bad in, yeah. not bad in uh, one right. game, is it? The odd, the odd thing about them is that four of those goals came from corners. I mean, one of them a penalty after a corner, but but four of them from corners, which you don't think of as being a, a City trait. And I think that's something, uh, I mean, this is, I guess, more of a Premier League issue, but Arsenal are, are really dangerous from set plays. We saw at Fulham, hmm. the, the opening goal there, where they had the, the six men behind the back post all running forward, which, you know, to try and uh, confuse the zonal marking. Uh, Tottenham have now got their set-piece coach, which certainly early in the season was paying dividends. Um, and, and City have clearly focused on that as well. So it does seem that that, that, that maybe top sides have, have realised set plays is something they've been neglecting, and that's an avenue where they, they, they can get an edge. I guess it does help when the goalkeeper's playing volleyball and he's teeing you up for you every time. <laughs> to knock, knock the ball in the back of the head. It did feel very much like Yeah, you, you could see why he was second choice, couldn't you? Yeah. But that, that was the thing about that performance. That, look, they were brilliant. They were incredibly ruthless. But the penalty is a joke. Oh, it's a terrible decision. It might technically be a penalty under the laws, but the laws are an absolute ass, and that certainly would not be given in the Premier League. Um, And there was nearly another one for Real Madrid last night, the... The very late shot that, yeah. def- uh, who was it? It hit his thigh and bounced. Was it Simicast? It was, wasn't it? Uh, hit his thigh and bounced onto his arm. I mean, we just know in the Premier League, if it hits your body and goes under your, your arm, not a, not a foul. What, what, I, what I. You said that, Jonathan. Villa, Villa have considered a penalty this season with that happening against Fulham. And they shouldn't. Yeah. No, no. Um, I, I just, I think with, with it, it's almost like they've got the technology and they feel they have to use it. 
But the, the point should be that I, I think the, the, the guiding principle of all these things is, did the player try to cheat? And you can't say that Henrik's tried to cheat. No, it's awful. It's an awful decision. Um, I mean, he, he didn't even seem to know that the ball hit his arm, which I think is entirely possible. You, you jump with somebody, there's a bit of contact with the bodies and the ball bobbles down off you. You don't really know what's what's hit what. It was a brush, I would I, say. I, didn't, so the, I don't think it even hit him. It was a brush. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, a very, very soft penalty. We, I mean, and, and to be fair to City, Henrik's, to be fair, I think he got away with one in the first leg where he sort of passed the ball away. But still, it's a really soft penalty. I don't, I don't think it necessarily is a foul for the second goal, but certainly you've seen them given the Holland challenge on the keeper. The, there is just a little bit of contact afterwards, and often you see the player who's made the challenge when the the, the player clearing the ball carries on into him that it's given as a as a free kick. And Edison I think, was incredibly lucky to get away with that challenge. Uh, yeah. And I know the ball may have brushed his knee, but it's a really dangerous challenge with this footed waist height, which. Um, it's certainly a yellow card. It might be a red card, not for denying a goal score opportunity, but for for um, for serious foul play. So they got decisions early on, and then Leipzig capitulated, and then City were ruthless. So I, I wouldn't be reading huge amounts into it, brilliant as they were. Now, what's annoying, though, from all those decisions that you've just, just talked about, it's like VAR get involved in the one that's the least controversial of all of them, that that handball because it kind of brushes his hand rather than hits it. But they don't get involved in the ones you would think that they would get involved in. The really telling one is the really telling thing I think is that Rodri, who's what two feet from it, doesn't doesn't even doesn't not a flicker. He doesn't think it's a penalty. He never cursed him. It's a penalty. So yeah, and they'd have gone through anyway, wouldn't they? They were far superior. They're far superior. It's a lot. Yeah. It, it doesn't really far matter. superior in the first first half of the first leg, and then far superior in both halves of, of this leg. So yeah, they, they I mean yeah. They've won seven nil, quibbling about the first couple of goals is is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, and Kieran, you sat there in what looks like Mudrick's bedroom. There, you've made your allegiances <laughs> quite clear this morning. I guess you think Manchester City should concentrate on the Champions League and kind of leave the league alone. Let, let's try them in the Champions League this season. Yeah, I'm hundred percent best opportunity, I think. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean this. Um, I think it's going to be quite. Uh, interesting tournament I think this is coming to that business end of the season where teams are going to have to start taking priority in either the league or the Champions League not just um, Man City of course um, I think there's a number of teams obviously Inter Milan you know potential underdogs uh, they're what a good 18 points off Napoli uh, Napoli themselves they're still in it do they say the league's done and go for full on for the Champions League you know so I think it's we're at a very interesting point in the Champions League, but uh, yeah, I think Man City need to go full on for it, get knocked out in the semi-final, and let Arsenal win the league. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Arsenal fans all, all love the sound of that Arsenal fans <laughs> who found a historic clip of me talking absolute rubbish on this podcast last oh, week yeah. and gave me a lot of Twitter abuse. So let's be nice about Arsenal. I hope Arsenal win the league. Jonathan, who do you think is going to win the Champions League? If you had to pick one team out, who would you pick? I know we don't know the draw at the moment, but if you had to pick one, who would you pick? Probably City, but I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm slightly torn because I don't think anybody apart from Napoli is playing particularly well in Europe at the minute. I think there's question marks against Bayern. Um, I think there's question marks about Real Madrid, who are the second and third favourites. I think City, we've seen in the league, have been a little by their standards, not quite what they can be. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't think there's there's such a depth of teams playing well. This season has been the past. Napoli, I think, are the team playing best at the minute, and it, they they may benefit from the fact that their league is 
essentially done and dusted. But on the other hand, the danger is that the celebrations and that end up deflecting them from from the Champions League. Um, but yeah, they are able to rest players in the league now because yeah, they 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 going they are going to win Serie. A. I now think City, but it's Napoli probably the team playing best right now. Yeah, three Serie A representatives will be in in the last day at a time where obviously Serie A with Napoli being so far ahead, it doesn't doesn't feel that strong. So it is a strange Champions League this season. If I had to pick a team, I still I know you saying they've got weaknesses, but I still wouldn't be able to look past Real Madrid. I just think they're so efficient and so ruthless when it comes to the Champions League. They they just know what they're doing. Well, that, that's the thing with Real Madrid that, that I didn't think they were particularly impressive last season. Yeah, they're impressive in 15, 20 minute bursts here and there. And against Liverpool, you know that that first leg, they they scored five five of their seven chances. I think they had more chances last night than they had in the first leg. Yeah, couldn't score um, last night. And they look very open. Yeah, Liverpool have been in. Yeah, the old Liverpool. You, you think we would have would have taken more chances, and and they wouldn't have been quite so. Uh, they wouldn't have capitulated in the way they did when they they went three two down. So yeah, that that game was lost for Liverpool in the second half of the first leg. Um, but I, I don't think. I mean, you sort of think, oh well, you remember they beaten Liverpool, the team who beat in the final last year. They beat them six two in aggregate. I didn't feel it was as dominant as that. But then last season, I kept saying this about Real Madrid, and they they kept on doing enough to get through. And I guess if you have brilliant players and a basic structure, that can be enough. Yeah, I think their defence is, is is really strong. Midfield just just knows what they're doing. The likes of Modric and, and Cruz and whoever they they play with them, and then you keep Benzema and. and Vinicius Junior fit. You've always got a chance. I can't look past them. Kieran, if you want to pick a team. Well, I mean, when the first, the draw was first made for the last 16, I said whoever wins from Bayern Munich and PSG would go on to win it. Um, and according to our ratings, Bayern Munich are the best team left in the competition. So, you know, I feel like you can never write them off. I think more time than not, the last few years, they've always generally the favourites to win it, even though they've not won it since I think it was 2020. Um, but if I had to pick a team, I'd probably say Man City. Unfortunately, I think they might get it, get uh, Guardiola might get that last uh, jewel in the crown at City. He'll certainly won it, won't he? You'd have thought they'd have probably won it by now. Some of the, some of the exceptional teams that they've had, but yeah, that that you know what, that that'd be close. Obviously, this season, won't that be interesting to see the draw? I think the draw will have a clearer picture of what's going on when the draws made. Let's look then at the weekend a little bit, and we've got Man City v Burnley to start as Vincent Company, the legend of Manchester City, returns to his old team. Jonathan, is he a successor to Pep when Pep finally calls it a day at Man City? The style he's got going at Burnley at this this early stage in in the club's development and his development as a manager, it's a big big change. They're absolutely flying though in that they seem to be playing his way every, every single week. And the the sound bites that you hear, the video clips that sometimes come out of him talking to his players, he does look the real deal. Yeah, I don't think he has said that at Anderlecht, but this season they've Burnley been the best team in the championship by a million miles. And I think had that been a a sort of continuation of the Dyche method, you just said, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, you just sort of start the engine again and let it run. But he hasn't. He's completely changed how they play. Um, I mean, they've only lost twice all season in the league. Um, they're, they're averaging, uh, I think, two goals a game now. Um, so, yeah, playing really, really good football. The I mean, What are they now? Uh, 13 points clear, I think. They're clearly going to be promoted. They, they've been the best team in the championship. I think they that you know they play in a really interesting way that you look at something like Ashley Barnes who who seemed ideal for the Dice method 
but he's actually had a had a really good season, albeit he's only scored five goals. But playing that centre forward role, bringing the wide players um, into the game. So Nathan Teller got a hat trick against Hull last night, seventeen goals for season coming in from wide. Uh, Anna Sarawi on the other side, I think he's got what six goals now. Um, but it is that that it, you know in the same way that City had that attacking threat from across the forward line, so Burnley have that. Um, the, the 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 one the one slight sort of worry for them, I guess, at the weekend is uh, Brownhill probably being out, uh, and he's been really good in midfield for them. Uh, so that means Joey Goodmanson dropping a bit deeper, uh, which does mean they have to have to change things. Um, so I think um, so. I'll be like to play more centrally, and then maybe Vitinho coming in wide. Uh, and Josh Cullen, who's, who was at Anderlecht under company, um, he's had a really good season in southern midfield. So, yeah, they're really good to watch. I, I, I'd be amazed if they beat City at the weekend, but it's an interesting game to see that sort of master-apprentice um, relationship and to see just how, how close Burnley can push City. Because Burnley are pretty much up, Kieran, so, you know, they'll, they'll go there, one, f- full of confidence, two, in good form, but three, I guess there is nothing to lose for, for them, really. They'll just go there, play their game and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, of course, they're up against, you know, a Premier League side who are the champions still at the minute and um, obviously fighting for the title. They're still, you know, a championship side, only relegated last season. Um, but, you know, they're obviously they have their eyes on that promotion place. But as Jonathan said, they're 13 points clear. You do imagine they will most likely go on to win the championship. Um, but, you know, these, you know, cup runs, you know, it's what fans crave for the most. So they'll want a good result. Um, on the weekend, but interestingly enough, it's it's quite a rarity for any team to go all the way in the cup and get promoted. It's not happened since 1931, apparently West Brom, the last side to do it, um, to do both. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be definitely be one they'll want to get a result at, especially away from home at Man City and company to get one over um, Guardiola. Just wanted to talk a bit about Nathan Teller, Jonathan, going really well at Burnley, having a stupendous season for them, 17 goals, I think it was, that you just said. We turn our attention to the Premier League a little bit. His parent club, Southampton, at the bottom of the league, completely struggling for goals. Someone who never really had a chance to play there, Nathan Teller. They probably do with someone like him, Wide. Uh, I guess the Southampton argument would be that they they brought in a lot of young forwards, and he's another young forward. Like, uh, he's what he's slightly older than than uh, you know. He's he's, he's not a kid. He's twenty three, I think. Um, but yeah, you, you sort of. I also think when you get to a player who is sort of twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, is there actually any point in continuing to loan them out? Uh, I mean, uh, you look at somebody like Nathan Broadhead, who Everton keep loaning out. I think it's twenty four now. He's, he was at Sunderland last season at Wigan this season. And you think, well, how much more is he going to develop? If he's not good enough for the, the Premier League club now, what, what are you keeping him for? You do wonder whether Southampton are thinking, well, we might be going down and Teller can score goals in the Championship, so we'll, we'll have him back next season for the, for the promotion charge. Um, but I, I, I sort of think that, yeah, once you're getting into your early 20s, you probably need to be getting more permanent deals, not just being loaned out everywhere. Uh yeah, it's easy to say with hindsight that Southampton could deal with him, but they, 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 yeah, they do have a lot of young forwards. That loan at Burnley, it'll either make them money because Burnley will want to sign him if they go up, or they'll have an effective player ready for the the top half of the Championship, bottom half of the of uh, the Premier League. So yeah, yeah, quite, I mean, there's that, there's that financial thing that sometimes players end up hanging around, just getting loaned out because. 
the club can't find anybody to sell them to at the right price. So they, they hold on until the price is right, which I think has happened, happened with Batshuayi, for instance, at Chelsea. Um, you always know it's pre-season when he's playing for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, uh, Marco Marine was there for ages as well. Would pop up in a couple of pre-season friendlies and then disappear off to some German you know, Bundesliga two side. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be... A, I, don't, I, mean, I don't think it's healthy for anybody. Um I mean, it must be it must be a nightmare for for those players and their families that every season it's just all right. Go to this city, go and play, set yourself up, get your kids in school, get your wife a job, come back again, go somewhere completely different next year. It's it's not a it's not an easy way to live a life. No, and he seems to be enjoying himself this season in particular. Let's talk a bit about Kevin De Bruyne, Kieran. I don't know whether you've got the underlying statistics there, but Pep saying that he's not doing the simple things. His past success rate has gone down, but he's still consistently creating chances and involved in a lot of the good things that City do. do. Something does feel a little bit off with De Bruyne this season. He was very angry during the World Cup, and I feel he's still quite angry now when you look at his face when Man City are playing. I was sort of confused. I mean... I wasn't, I wasn't. I think, yeah, his past success rate has gone down. It's uh, 78.9% this season. Um, the lowest he's got in the Prem was in 15-16 season, uh, 78.3. And all the other seasons it's been in the 80s. So, you know, there is a slight decline in his past success rate. Um, I don't know if it's because he's trying different passes because he has got a uh, a different striker in Haaland now. Yeah. Um, whereas last season, yet more false nines, you know, you had the likes of, you know, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, who weren't really that target man that Haaland is. So potentially, you know, he's trying different things. Um, but as I said, yeah, chance creation, he's, you know, still very much up there. In Europe's top five leagues, he's got the most key passes. Um, he's second only to Messi when it comes to assists. Um, you know, so he's still, you know, he's still doing the business when it comes to um, providing the goals for Man City. But, um you know, he was there was a slight decline after the World Cup. You know, it was a lot of frustration. I'm sure. You know, Belgium didn't have a yet another not a great campaign. So uh, maybe it's just Pep's way of motivating players. You know, calling them out. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I think that's potentially the potential reasons why. You know, you know, there might be a slight decline in his past success. You know, it's just changing, adapting to a, a different environment. I suppose. I think Kieran raises a valid point there, Jonathan, that, you know, there is a different type of striker up there. And De Bruyne is someone, I always like it when a player, in some ways, if a player's got a lower pass success rate, because it means that they're trying something. So many players play it safe and play the ball sideways and backwards and their numbers kind of get padded. But you do visibly see that De Bruyne is one of the only ones at times that's trying to find Haaland. Haaland makes so many runs. And De Bruyne is the one that's trying to find him. So I guess his pass rate would be lower. Yeah, but I think this is the whole issue of Haaland and City that's, Guardiola's whole thing is about control. You know, Guardiola's famous thing from from Barcelona was that when when his side wins the ball back, he says it takes fifteen passes to get set, so that you can then attack without fear of being counted against. Um, and I think that's where City have been uh, really good. Uh, one of the reasons they're able to stifle teams is that they counter the counter very very well. But it's still the way that most of the few goals they concede come. It's the way they tend to concede goals in in big games. Uh, when they have their little European slip-ups, it tends to be because of counter-attacking goals. I think Guardiola's become paranoid about that. And and so he's always looking at ways to to increase the control. But you bring Holland in, he needs that ball played forward quickly. He needs that riskier pass. And I, I guess um, that criticism that Pep made of, that Guardiola made of uh, De Bruyne, um, 
it's sort of a, maybe a reminder to De Bruyne that it's not just about banging the ball forward. Now, City do get the ball forward quicker than they have done in the past. You look at uh, you look at the second goal they scored against Leipzig. That's a you know a Kanji lumping it, lumping it, you know, a, 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 a pejorative term. Playing a long direct pass, which Holland then nods down to De Bruyne, who has the shot hits the bar that Holland follows in. There was that chance early on when it was still nil nil that Ake played a must have been a seventy yard pass. The Holland just got a toe to, and the keeper made quite a good save. Uh, so they do have that option. I, I think the issue is just getting resetting that balance. Um, and yeah, you, know, you listen to the to the commentary on on the the Leipzig game. People say, "Oh, you know, Holland he scored five goals. How can you possibly say he's made City worse?" Well, just look at the numbers. Last season in the league, City scored ninety nine goals, and they're going to see the twenty six. They played twenty six games this season. You extrapolate out the figures, and they're on course to score ninety four. And concede 35. So that's a goal difference that's 14 worse than last season. So you, you bring in a great goal scorer and your team scores fewer goals and you concede more goals. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be a problem that's ongoing, but I think there is a process that City are, are going through of trying to just reset that balance. And I, yeah, I think what, what Guardiola said of Holland, sorry, I said of De Bruyne was, was not just directed at De Bruyne, but a sort of general thing to his team of yeah, just because we got this player where you can lump it and if it's within 20 yards of him, it'll cause chaos. Don't think you can get away with that. You've got to be judicious in the use of those more direct passes. Uh, use it when you can, but also be aware that control is still the the the, the, the key element. Yeah, when Pep signs something, there's always a message somewhere to someone, to, to his players, to his staff or to the fans. He's, he's always trying to get some kind of message across Pep when he speaks in, in the press. Let's do our predictions then for this one. The predictions are completely meaningless after Ben really just couldn't be asked to, to, to do his job with the predictions. So, Kieran, what, what do you think for this one? I'm going to go um, 2-1 City. 2-1 City. Jonathan? 2-0 City. And I was going to go 3-1 to Manchester City. But I will say, Burnley might catch them early and, and go ahead. That's happened a few times this season at, at Manchester City. But Manchester City will still go on and win that game. Sticking with the FA Cup, we've got Manchester United v Fulham. Jonathan, Manchester United, of course, will be without Casemiro for a little while. Can I cope? Without him, it's looking like it could be a midfield of McFred again, going back to the heady days of the last few seasons. It's not disastrous to have McTominay, Fred and, and Sabitzer also as an option um, with Bruno Fernandes, ideally, or maybe that course playing in front of them. But it's clearly not as strong as when you've got Casemiro and Eriksen, and that's that's been a, a problem for United recently. I mean, Casemiro's on this incredible run at the minute that um, if you look at league games only, uh, he had a run of 10 league games, 10 United league games, where he was spent against Arsenal because he got five yellow cards. He was sent off against Palace. He missed the home game against Leeds. He missed the away game against Leeds. He missed the game against Leicester. He lost 7-0 with Liverpool. Then he was sent off against Southampton and he's going to miss the games against Newcastle, Brentford and Everton. So as a run of 10 games, that's that's pretty much as bad as it gets. The one game where you're not suspended or getting sent off, you lose 7-0. So that's... Yeah, all the talk about him being one of the greatest signings ever, I think has to be tempered by that because being on the pitch is, is a key part of that. So yeah, if you're not available, um, and particularly if it's not an injury, then then that, 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 that has to lower an assessment of your performance over the season. Having said that, yeah, I, th- I think the red card against Palace was pretty unlucky. That there was that one angle where it looked like he had his hand on Will Hughes's neck. You saw the other angle, and it's clearly he's just sort of giving a sort of push on the shoulder, which everybody was pushing shoulders in that melee. 
So I think that was a bad use of VAR that they looked at one angle and didn't didn't sort of make sure didn't check that with another angle. The the foul on um, on Sunday against Southampton, look, it's a red, it's a red card definitely, uh, but he's just slightly overstretched into a challenge. It's slightly reckless. It's not some integral part of his game. He's a sort of incredibly violent player that who has to to, to check himself. Uh, he's just yeah been a, been a bit unlucky with the first one. The second one. It's one of those things. If you play in midfield and make tackles, it will happen to you every now and again. Um, so it, it, it's a quirk, I think, rather than necessarily a massive problem with Casemiro. But but clearly, it's a problem for Manchester United. Yeah, another midfielder that struggled with discipline so far this season, Kieran, is João Paulinho, one of the signings of the season who we've raved about many times on this podcast. Fulham have been a completely different beast without him in that midfield. That They've really struggled. They've shipped goals, so it would be great for them to have him back. And actually, in terms of this game, with Casemiro missing and Manchester United having trouble in midfield, him coming in could be the difference maker because it will just give them that bit of control that they don't have without him. So they've obviously five games in all comps where you know he hasn't played. Um, and in that time, they've conceded 12 goals. They've only won one of the games, which is against Hull in uh, the FA Cup as well. Um, so it'll be a massive boost to have him back. And in fact, it was the game against Man United in the league. You know, he put in one of the best performances. I know they, of course, lost in the end, um, but he made nine tackles that day, which was the third highest made in a Premier game this season. And uh, there's a few players from Man United that were obviously going to be missing this weekend who put in a very good performance, one being Christian Eriksen, who, of course, scored the goal and got the assist for the other um, and was the man of the match that day. Uh, he'll be missing. Um, and we already talked about the other midfielders are going to be missing. So it does look like the midfield battle might sway towards Fulham, which may potentially sway the game their way. Um, and of course, even the likes of Ganaucho, who scored that day, you know, he's potentially missing as well. So, you know, these injuries are mounting up for United and uh, having someone like Paulinho back, who is so key for Fulham in that middle. Um, dictating play might just swing the game their way. Yeah, success this season, Jonathan, for Manchester United probably would have been a cup and finishing in the top four. They've already got a cup. They're going to finish in in the top four. There's this chance now to to get multiple cups and I think maybe because they've kind of marooned in third, I don't think they're going to finish lower than that. I don't think they're going to finish higher. They'll really go heavy at the cup competitions now for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's a quarter-final of the cup and they and City are the obvious favourites for the cup. So, I, I think when you get to the quarterfinal, you, you don't mess about with the cup. Um, they they even with the injuries, their squad is big enough. Um, I think the, the the really tough spell of the season for them is is, is past in terms of games when they had the, the Barcelona games and the the uh, Carabao Cup final um, plus the Liverpool game. And yeah, they did end up running out of steam there. And and maybe maybe you saw the thinness of the squad that they, they struggled a bit against West Ham in the Cup and had to bring on the big guns in the end. I, I suppose maybe you get into an equation of which is worth more, the, the Europa League or the FA Cup. But I think once you're in the quarter-final, you just play it to win it. And he, you know, Casemiro will be back eventually. Um, so I, I'd be amazed if there's anything other than the strongest side Ten Hag can put out. Um, I, I'd be, be interested what team he puts out at Batiste. Uh, later today, uh, we were recording this on the, on the Thursday morning, that he seems to have suggested that he's going to put out a very strong team, which when you're 4-1 up against Batiste, who you know, are, are not the strongest side in Spain, I think that's a game where you probably can afford to rest people. But I don't think you go about resting people against against Fulham in a cup quarter final. No. What do you think the score's going to be then, Jonathan? 
1-0 to United. 1-0 to United. Kieran? I think Fulham might sneak it. Uh, 1-0. I think Fulham will give them, give them close game. But I think Manchester United would just be too strong at home. If it was a way, I'd have a different answer. But I think Manchester United to win 2-1. Let's turn our attention to the Premier League, what we usually do, then the bread and butter of the podcast. It's Chelsea v Everton on Saturday tea time. Kieran has been a switch in system. Well, there hasn't really been a switch in system. Chelsea have kind of gone back to what was so successful for them in the past. They quite often play three at the back because of Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva's not there now, he's injured, but they've been playing three at the back and they've looked better. Yeah, they switched uh, more of a 3-4-3 formation in their last three games in all competitions. Um, obviously, Fofana and Kulabali have come in. Um, and to be honest, they have looked quite secure at the back and um, they've actually been you know, getting results, which you know has been escaping them recently. They've been scoring more goals as well and their general attacking play has been better. It's almost like they've had this um, given some more of their players more freedom to go forward and you know their shots per game in March alone is 12.7 uh, for the rest of the year it was 11 so you know there is that difference and as I said they're actually winning games now um, and uh, you know even their defenders are actually supporting the attack as well I mean Fofana's scored Kurabali got an assist uh, Chilwell's got an assist as well um, and a goal so you know um I think it is a helping them in an attacking sense and a defensive sense as well. And I think it allows some of their other players, such as Enzo Fernandez, to get forward more as well, keep them much more secure defensively and allows him to, you know, use more of his attacking assets, which um which was so key to of course Argentina at the World Cup. Um so yeah, I think it has benefited them a lot. And even Kurbali's look, you know, a much different player, much more the player that we uh were known for at Napoli. Um, in the three games he's played in, um, he's only been dribbled past once, you know, so it does feel like he's stepped up a lot in the last few games and uh, almost stepped in as the leader in that back three. Yeah, all those defenders that they spent money on in the, in the summer, Fafana, Koulibaly and Kukurea, that's that's been the back three at, at times, Jonathan, and they've all looked far more comfortable in, the, in those positions. Yeah, they have. I mean, um, yeah, three wins in a row since Thiago Silva got, got injured. Um do you, you I don't even blame Thiago Silva, but maybe maybe one of the reasons other players struggle to settle around him is because of his lack of pace now that he's 340 or whatever it is. Uh, what is he, 38 now, 39? He's older than that. Um, I mean, God, that is old. I mean, te- that's telling. Um, yeah. Um, maybe they, they did end up having to sort of amend their positioning uh, because of him. Uh, so in, in some ways it might be, might be the... The worst thing that the, the Potter's hand has been forced, and he's he's had to had to change that, and, and, and maybe that reliance on Thiago Silva actually was something that was that was causing them problems. Uh, the the only thing you'd say about this shape, this three four three, is is that I'm not really sure. I know Mudrick's played through the centre in it, but that's not his. Yeah, it's not how we've seen him before. Uh, they've spent 120 million quid on Mudrick and uh, Madueke. Where where do they fit in? And and I'm not really sure that they that they do. Uh, so that again leads to that question of when they were spending all this money, were they actually spending it to a plan, or were they just signing lots of lots of young talent? Um, but uh, yeah, for now things look a lot more positive for Chelsea. Uh, three wins in a row. I don't think they were playing that badly in the spell when they weren't picking up points. You know, eight of those first nine league games after the World Cup, when they only picked up ten points, but eight of those nine games they had the better xG. So they have just started to take a few chances. 
Havertz, I think, is playing as well as I've seen him play in the Chelsea shirt. It's probably too late for them to get top four in the league, but they, they can at least make sure they're in the Europa League and at least sort of get a bedrock in place for next season. It's weird because if you speak to Chelsea fans, I know a couple of Chelsea fans and have worked with a couple of Chelsea fans. They talk about Thiago Silva, like if he's not there, Chelsea completely fall apart. They they can't play without him. He's so good. They, they absolutely love him at Chelsea. So it's interesting that he's come out and actually they, they've picked up results because that goes against, I think, what the, what the Chelsea fans were thinking. But I think back to that game away at Brighton when they got hammered earlier in the season and Thiago, that was with Thiago Silva playing in the back four. And they were absolutely all over the place defensively. And I thought then it was because he was too slow to play in the back four. And then, yeah, they had so many iffy performances and he was the one who looked calm. He was the one who's, who was controlling everything. So I, I, I sort of think two things can be true at once that seem contradictory. So I think he probably has been the best defender this season. I also think it may be that the other players play better when he's not there and they've had to take on a bit of responsibility and they're not constantly covering for the, covering for the old man to... <laughs> to put it as bluntest terms, uh, yeah, they've got to learn how to play without him because he he's not going to be there forever. So yeah, I think it's it's probably for the development of Chelsea, it might not be the worst thing that he's he's out for a little while. Yeah, and they've got that settled midfield pairing now as well. Kieran, they've also got you know Chilwell and Rhys Jones are allowed to do the things they're good at in this system. But Kovacic coming back in as captain next to Enzo Fernandez, the nice little midfield pairing that. Yeah, I mean it seems to be working. Um, two of his top-rated performances this season have come in the last two Prem games. Um, he obviously scored against Leicester, which was his best-rated performance. And uh, then the second best-rated was the one against Leeds. So, um, obviously, having Fernandez next to him is bringing the best out of him. And in a way, potentially, um, it might be making Fernandez have play better as well, um, allowing that, him that freedom to go forward, allow Kovacic to cover uh, potentially, you know, again, allowing Fernandez, as I said, with the defence to um, have that full freedom to support the attack. Um, and potentially it could be seen as their best midfield parent, I'd say. Um, I don't I don't think, you know, Mason Mount or anyone like that would come in there. Um, and obviously we've seen how important he is for Croatia at the World Cups. You know, he was so key, the last one and the one before, to them getting to the semi-finals and the final. Um, and, you know, he played quite a big leadership role there. So, you know, he could do the same here for Chelsea. And, you know, um, it seems to be very popular with the Chelsea players as well. Like there's been reports saying that, you know, the minute they heard he was captain, you know, Chelsea players were fully supportive of that. And, um, you know, obviously as it's not all been positive for Chelsea this season, you know, in, in amongst the players. So, you know, it's, it's obviously quite a positive to have him in there and performing well. Yeah, and Everton... Moving up the league, a couple of good results, Jonathan, but their better performances and results seem to come at Goodison Park. At some point, they're going to have to do something away from home, aren't they? Although you get the feeling it probably won't be this weekend. Yeah, I mean, they've only picked up a point away from home under Dyche. The three wins have all been 1-0 and all at Goodison. Uh, they haven't scored goals, five goals in seven games under Dyche. Um, so, I, I mean, look, if, if they if they win two-thirds of the home games from now at the end of the season 1-0, that'll be enough. Um, but ideally, they would pick up some points away from them. And they're not the only team at the bottom who struggle away no. from home. Look, look at Forest as well. But but yeah, a couple of weeks ago, you just thought, yeah, maybe Everton can pinch something here, but just that little improvement in Chelsea's form. Um, you think that, that... I mean, anything Everton get here is a bonus. They, but they are they are building. They are starting to play better. I think Damari Gray coming into the side, although he's not a, not an obvious Daesh player, I think he, he has added to them. Um Calvert-Lewin, I think, 
possibly will be fit, but whether he starts or not, I'm not, not sure. So if he is tomorrow, he's playing up front again. At least he's got pace. The issue Everton have, you think back to the Everton game, it's a very Liverpool game um, when they played Ellis Sims up front. And you know, I'd, I'd seen Ellis Sims at Sunderland where he scored 7-17 seven earlier in the season. And he's a big lad, but he's not a target man. You know, he, he's, he can head the ball, but he's, he's quite good technically. Um, and he needs players around him. Uh, so I feel a bit sorry for him that he was dragged back from his loan right at the end of the Lampard era. Um, he got his one start in, in, at Anfield where he's played 40 yards from any other Everton player. They were whacking the ball long at him. That's just not his game. He looked out of his depth. And yeah, maybe he's not ready for the Premier League yet, but he's a lot better player than we saw in that game. And it sort of feels that this is sort of six months of waste for him when he, he could have been playing regularly at Sunderland, especially with Ross Stewart being out, in a, in a style of football that would have suited him better. Um, but I think it's a problem Everton have. They just don't have a centre-forward other than Calvert-Lewin, who's never fit. So they need to sort that out. And one of the impressive things, I think, about Daesh is that he has inaugurated or has, has launched this, this audit of Calvert-Lewin's lifestyle to see what it is that's causing him to get injured. So he's looking at his car, he's looking at his furniture, looking at his diet, looking at everything to see if there is something that's, that's causing these repeated injuries. And that, I think, is a sign of a, of a smart manager who... who doesn't just look to solve problems, but looks to work out why the problems are occurring in the first place. Yeah, a fit and healthy Dominic Calvert-Lewin completely transforms Everton. Although Dyche has come in and done a good job, Kieran. And if you look at the algorithm, it's actually the Burnley Old Boys Club that are, that are helping Everton out. They've even drafted Michael Keane back in from, from, from the cold and he's playing at, at the moment. So he's got his old boys around him and he's kind of harnessing something. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, his top-rated players at Burnley since... Uh, at, sorry top rated players at Evan since Deitch took over. Um, three of the top six are, you know, Dwight McNeil, James Tarkovsky and Michael Keane. Um, McNeil and Tarkovsky are the top two. Um, and uh, so they're obviously, you know, they obviously understand the system and how he wants to play this uh, 4-5-1. And they're even getting amongst the goals. They've scored five times, of course, since Deitch come in, which, you know, it might not be great, but um, they've been amongst the goals. Uh, McNeil scored one, Tarkovsky scored one, and Michael Keane's even got an assist. You know, so they are, of course, very key. They understand how he wants to play and how he likes to play. Um, you know, so they're, you know, they're people who he can rely on to do, you know, the way he likes to play, which potentially is different to how Everton were in the past. You know, it's always hard to pinpoint what their uh, game plan really was. You know, Everton's such a, it's a bit of a weird team in a sense in the last few years. But, you know, potentially this might be their new identity. I mean, even... If you look at McNeil, he's averaging 1.3 crosses per game, which, you know, having someone like Calvert-Lewin, who you spoke about, would be very beneficial. And maybe that's where the goals come in. I mean, in the game against um, Arsenal in his first game, you could see how much of a threat Calvert-Lewin was, um, how many headers he was winning. So you can imagine he would be, you know, very key to Deitch if, as as you said, he was fit. But, um, yeah, obviously, as you said, those three Burnley player, ex-Burnley players are obviously, they understand the system, they've integrated it well and, you know, they're, you know, making the best out of it. And once they have that fully fit squad, it could start ticking. But even when you look at the likes of Alex Awobi, for example, he's having one of his best seasons in the Premier League. So he is starting to get the best out of other players as well. Yeah, Tarkovsky and McNeil have both scored winners for him as well, which is obviously pivotal as that's got them the bulk of their points so far. Let's finish this game then with predictions. I'll do mine first. I'm going to go Chelsea 2, Everton 0. Jonathan? 1-0 to Chelsea. 
and Kieran. I'll say 2-1 uh, to Chelsea. 2-1 to Chelsea. Let's finish the podcast then with the Just a Minute section. Is FA Cup weekend, but there is quite a few Premier League games as well. Jonathan, you're up first with Nottingham Forest against Newcastle. Yeah, Forest no win in five now after that run where it looked like they were pulling away from danger. So they are sinking again. Um, they're only two points clear of the drop. So those worries well and truly back. Uh, the flip side of that is they are unbeaten in nine at home. Uh, home form is is what will keep them up if anything does. Uh, Newcastle had had gone five without a win before they beat Wolves. Um, probably a little bit unlucky in that game to get away with with Nick Pope not conceding the penalty being sent off early on. But 70 of the 90 minutes, they were the better side. And I think crucially for them, Almiron looked sharp again after he came off the bench. And given how they've been lacking goals, only four goals scored in the last seven games, uh, 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 you know, a fit and firing Almiron is is key to them. Forest have got ten players out or suspended. Um, uh, Johnson and Wood uh, being out restrict so attacking options. Uh, Henderson and Hennessy both out as well as so the problems in goal. Uh, Newcastle won it two 0 St James earlier season. They're going to go one one. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. I can't. I was at Forest earlier on in the week talking to a former Sunderland player and former Newcastle player, Jack Colback, so I can't possibly predict Nottingham Forest to lose, so I'm going to go 1-1 as well. Kieran? 2-2. 2-2, nice. Kieran, big one, Villa v Bournemouth. Yeah, so um, Aston Villa's 1-1 draw last weekend with West Ham meant they were three games unbeaten now in the league. Uh, the longest they've gone is four games, so obviously they will level it, uh, level it if they uh, get a draw or win here. They've won six times at home this season. Uh, only seven teams have won more often on home soil. Uh, Bournemouth recorded a win over Liverpool last weekend, uh, which, of course, included Salah missing a penalty. Uh, they've only won two of their last five, but their two defeats were against the top two, Arsenal Man City, and the other a draw against Newcastle. Um, but the win against Wolves the other week was their first away win in the Prem since a 3-2 win over Forest in September. Uh, three teams have picked up only three teams have picked up fewer away points than Bournemouth. Um, but Bournemouth actually got a very good record in the Premier League against Villa and won four of the five meetings, uh, Villa winning the other, um, including their 2 0 win back in August. Uh, but I'm going to go for a 1 1 draw here. I'm going to go for 1 0 to Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins on the score sheet again. Jonathan? Yeah, same. 1 0 to Villa. 1-0 to Villa. Uh, Brentford against Leicester, Jonathan, for you. Brentford, of course, winning last night, moving themselves up the table. Yeah, there's there's something odd about this Premier League season that Tottenham seem to lose every week and they're fourth. Palace seem to lose every week and they're 12th. And they have been all season. And Leicester seem to lose every week and yet somehow they're still not in the relegation zone. They're 16th. Uh, but they are level on points with, with Bournemouth, who are third bottom. Uh, I think the pressure really is starting to mount there now. I'm still not sure Brendan Rodgers' job is under threat because of the financial situation at the club. But they've lost five games in a row now in all competitions. And in that time, they've only, gone, they've only scored twice while conceding 10. The familiar injury problems are, are all there. Uh, Justin, Tielemans, Christiansen, Bertrand, Vestergaard are, are all injured. Uh, Valfest is suspended. Um, Brentford had that 12-game unbeaten run. That came to an end against Everton. But their team win against Southampton has them up to eighth. Only seven points off fourth with a game in hand. So they should get European football, if not Champions League. It was 2-2 on the end of the season, but I've got this as a 1-0 to Brentford. I'm going to go for 3-1 to Brentford. Kieran? 2-0 uh, to Brentford. 
2-0 to Brentford. As I say, these predictions are absolutely pointless because we've got no league table anymore, but I guess people may still like to hear what we think will happen in the games. Kieran, you've got the Gareth Bale or the David Howells derby, depending on which way you look at it. It's Southampton against Tottenham. Southampton uh, come into this game after a 2-0 defeat to Brentford um, on Wednesday night. Uh, obviously, since Ruben Sellis has come in, they've won twice, drawn one and lost two, including last night's game. Um, at home, they've only picked up nine points, which makes it the, the worst in the division this season so far. Um, for Tottenham, they obviously had a difficult week, which saw them um, go out of both the FA Cup and the Champions League and go three competitive games without a win. But they returned to winning ways on the weekend with a 3-1 win over Nottingham Forest. But away from home, they've only won five out of 13. Um, Tottenham have only lost one of the last five meetings. And they, of course, won 4 1 back in August. Um, so I've got them down to win 2 1 here. Yeah, I think they'll win 2 1 as well. I think Son's got a very good record against Southampton, but I think it'll be close 2 1 to Tottenham. Jonathan? 1 uh, 0 again to Tottenham. 1 0 to Tottenham. Jonathan, you're finishing with Wolves against Leeds. Yeah, a repeat of the 1973 FA Cup semi final, the, the lesser semi final, not, not as big as Sunderland beating Arsenal. Um, Leeds won that one. I'm not sure they're going to win this one. A uh, huge game at the bottom, obviously. Four points between them. Uh, Wolves, three points clear of the relegation zone. Uh, Leeds, uh, a point from safety. Uh, Wolves only won one of the last five, despite the improvement in Lopetegui. But to be fair to them, uh, they did win the two before that. Their problem is scoring goals. They've only scored three goals in those five games. Um, Leeds have also got goal-scoring problems. They've only won one of the last 13, and they only scored eight goals in the last 11. Uh you wonder if Javi Gracia has got to, at some point, let them off a leash a bit. But where it was an improvement, I think, against Brighton, a uh, 2-2 draw there, um, with Bamford getting back on the score sheet, which is huge for them. Kaladzic and Diego Costa out for Wolves. Uh, Sarabia is a doubt. Cooper, Forshaw and Dallas all out for Leeds. Leeds won this 2-1 on the opening day, but I think this will be a 1-0 home win for Wolves. 2-1 to Wolves from me, Kieran. 2-1 uh, to Wolves. 2-1 to Wolves as well. And you're finishing with Arsenal against Crystal Palace, the Ian Wright derby. Since the uh, loss to Man City, Arsenal have gone on a uh, five-game winning run in the league. Um, they've picked up 32 points at home. Only Man City with 34 have picked up more. Um, obviously, they play tonight in the Europa League, um, so potential injury doubts could come through there. Um, Palace are on an 11-game winless run after losing to Brighton last night 1-0. It's the longest any team has gone without a win in the league this season. Um, nine goals. They've only scored nine goals away from home. Only three have scored fewer than them. Um, but when it comes to uh, the meetings with Arsenal, five of the last ten have in fact been draws, um, though Arsenal did win on the opening day at Palace. And, you know, depending on tonight's result, maybe coming into this game of confidence. So, 3-1 to Arsenal. Yeah, I was going to go 3-1 as well. You used to fancy Palace but a big away games, but at the moment, they just look absolutely devoid of anything. Jonathan? 2-0 to Arsenal. 2-0 to Arsenal. And that wraps up this week's edition of Edge of the Box. Thanks ever so much for watching and thanks to the guys for joining me as well. Do subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on and have a look at socials as well where all the clips from this podcast get posted. We'll be back next week to preview. No, we won't because it's international break. We'll be back in a few weeks to preview the Premier League. So look out for us coming back. Enjoy all the football of the weekend and as ever, stay safe. Stay safe.